Ever since the first tick-tock of time You brought order to a world undefined Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Welcome to the Genesis West Podcast. Our teaching team is made up of men and women who love asking probing questions of each week's scripture portion, to which our community responds with curiosity, courage, and a desire to expand in faith, hope, and love. We follow the Revised Common Lectionary, and we follow the church calendar, because they anchor us in something which can hold us, no matter what life throws our way. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. Cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We exist to join God's work of cultivating new beginnings in all of us, everywhere. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. We hope you enjoy this week's teaching. 1 John 4, 7-21 Beloved, let us love one another. Because love is from God, everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this, in, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for sin. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we always ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is perfect in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. Those who say, I love God, and hate their brothers or sisters are liars. For those who do not love brothers or sisters whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. The commandment we have from him is this. Those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. The word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Charles, Jessica, thank you so much for that. That was awesome. Thank you. Uh, For those of you, obviously, who are watching at home, uh, I just want to say hello and God bless you and wish you were all here with us. Uh, It's an amazing crew that puts this together and blessing to be part of it, but I'm really looking forward to having everybody back here because it hits different being in this room. It just does. Uh, We want to do it safely. We want to do it right, but I'm looking forward to everybody being back here with us. We are going to start today with an all play, and it's a very simple one. There is no right answer. For those of you who are new or relatively new to Genesis, all plays are where we like to hear the voice of the chorus and not just the solo. 
But I want you in the chat box to type one word. One word that in your mind describes the totality of God, which seems like an impossible task, I know. But we've all been taught various words to describe God. So, can, so start in the chat there. Type in one word. It can be something you've been taught. It's something that you feel. It's something that you've been taught that you think it isn't right anymore. Whatever it is. Just the first thing that comes to mind. One word that describes God. Brian, indescribable. Perfect. All right, we're done. Have a good Sunday, everybody. No, that was great. <laughs> Light. Thank you very much, Hannah. Uh, Ivor, infinite. Mystery. Redemptive. Blinding. Echo. These are fantastic. These are great. Expanding. Thank you, Will. Peyton, fill in the blank. Oh, that's okay. Again, we're done. Right there. Forget it. That's amazing. You guys are awesome. There are a lot of words we can use to describe God. And in this passage today, John has one singular word. It's in verse 8. God is love. I want to tell you a story. So those of you who know me know that I don't have kids of my own. But I do have three nephews and a niece who I love dearly. Nephew number one, his name is Cade, and he's 17 years old, and he's every bit of a teenager. But he's a great kid, and I love him dearly. But I couldn't always say that as clearly as I just did. Because I remember vividly walking into the room at the hospital after he had been born, and I'm going to meet my first nephew for the first time. And I walk in, and his mom's there, obviously, but one of her friends is there, and her friend is holding Cade, and she's cooing and, and, and playing with him. And, and I walk in, and she looks at me, and she says, don't you just love him, Dan? Now, what you have to understand is that my superpower is to make even the most normal of situations and the easiest of answers awkward. Will I use it for good? Will I use it for evil? I don't know. But my response, as my Enneagram 5 brain starts going through the permutations here, is, well, I don't really know this kid. He's kind of pink and wrinkly and eats, sleeps, and poops a lot, and I... That's all going through my mind. I'm trying to decide, you know, how do I actually feel about this baby? And my answer to the question, Dan, don't you just love him, was, sure, which is not the right answer. If you're ever in that situation, don't answer it that way. But that was my answer because I just, I, I didn't know how to feel about it. But fast forward about a year and a half, and I'm babysitting the kid. Mom and dad are out to dinner having a date. Just me and Cade. Part of his bedtime routine was watching the Baby Einstein video. Remember those? And so we're watching the Baby Einstein video, and again, my Enneagram 5 mind is going crazy because I'm thinking, well, you know, combine kids playing with toys with Mozart, make a video, you make billions. Why did I not think of this? This is amazing. And then it occurs to me, maybe I should check on the kid and make sure he's okay. We're sitting down on the floor. I'm watching the video, but I look over at him, and he's not watching the video. He's staring directly at me. And he'd do this thing when he was tired. He'd start playing with his hair. And he's just looking at me, and he's playing with his hair. And I make eye contact with him, and he just gets the biggest, brightest smile on his face. And it was right there, right in that moment. I'm completely in love with this kid. Whatever he needs, you need to go rob a liquor store, fine. I'll do it, whatever you need. I was just, there was nothing I wasn't going to do for this kid. And it struck me that, that in, in the moment that I walked into the hospital room, that was what they were looking for. That was the feeling. That was the bond that's created so instantly when you love somebody and when you know that you're well-loved. I think we've all felt something like that. It could be a spouse. It could be a child. It could be a friend. It could be any kind of relative, however it is. But you've felt that feeling when you know that you truly love someone and you're truly loved by someone. It's that kind of twist that you get in your gut. You know what I'm talking about? 
So do me a favor, imagine that for a moment. Imagine that feeling. Imagine that little twist in your gut. Imagine that person whom you truly love and who you are truly loved by. And feel that for just a moment. You feel that? Now imagine that feeling dialed up to 11 and being experienced 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year for all of eternity. Kind of difficult to do, isn't it? Your brain would probably melt if you felt that much for that long. And yet what John is saying in this passage is that is what God is. When John says God is love, it is that kind of committed, intentional, covenantal feeling that you have for another person when you know you love them desperately and you are loved by them. That's what he's saying. Now what you have to remember about John, 1 John, as a letter, is, I'm going to actually describe this two different ways. If you're over the age of 35, 40-ish, 1 John is the cliff notes of John's gospel. If you're under that age, it's the TLDR. Too long didn't read for those of you who are in the former category. Shout out to Maddie for teaching me that term. But it is essentially an attempt to distill and explain John's gospel. That's what 1 John is. Which means that the focus and the themes of both 1 John and John's gospel are very, very similar. And the central theme of both is knowing and understanding who God is through the lens of Jesus Christ. The reason that this passage lands during Eastertide, we're in the fifth Sunday of Easter, I think it is. The reason that this lands during Eastertide is we're in that mode where Jesus has risen but has not yet ascended. And there is no point in all the time that the apostles spent with Jesus where they were closer to the reality of God than with the risen Christ. So understanding who God is through the lens of Jesus becomes a very central theme, very important in this portion. John's essentially saying, if you want to know more about God, you need to know more about Christ, specifically the risen Christ. And Christ constantly, constantly preached about love. And that's what leads John to this conclusion in 1 John 4, 8, that God is love. Now, that word love in English is somewhat limited. In the original Greek, used in the Bible, they had four different words for love. Because as Ali said so brilliantly in that video, how you love pizza isn't how you love your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your partner or your husband or your wife. It's a different thing. So when, when, G, when John says in 1 John 4, 8 that God is love, he's not just talking about romantic love. The Greek word there is eros. He's, although that, that's part of it. He's not just talking about brotherly or sisterly love, filio, so that's part of it. What he's talking about is love as active engagement, love as an intentional commitment to another person. And the Greek word there is agape. And John uses that word. When he says God is love, he's using that word agape. It's very, very important to know which version of that word he's using. Because that idea, that idea that God is love, is everything when it comes to our faith. Love isn't one amongst a list of other God's characteristics. You guys had some great words in the chat for God, and that's amazing. Those are awesome, and they're all true. But love isn't just one of those words. Love is the very essence of God's being. Now, that may seem basic. That may seem obvious, right? But if you think about it, we don't always live as though we completely trust in that love. How do I know that? 
I know that because we break out what I call the yeah buts. When somebody says something like, God is love, period, paragraph, inevitably there's a voice that says, yeah, well, yeah, but God is also holy. When someone says God is love, there's another voice that comes along and says, yeah, but God is, is righteous. When somebody says God is love, there's another voice that comes along and says, yeah, but God is also the ultimate judge. What I want you to hear today is that there are no yeah buts. God is love, period. Everything God is, everything God is, every characteristic that we might otherwise use to describe God has to, has to be seen and based on that foundation that God is love. You want to say God is holy? Sure, you can say God is holy. That's fine. Holy just means to be set apart. And yes, God is set apart from any other notion of a creator God because God is love. You want to say that God is righteous? Fine. That's fine. Righteous just means to be rightly related, and there is no one more rightly related to this creation than God because God is love. You want to say God is the ultimate judge? That's fine. We just had a song we played in that video. God's judgment is love because God is love. When we fail to get this, when we start bringing in the abbots, when we start elevating other characteristics to be equal to describing God as love, when we do that, we start teaching theologies that separate us from one another. We start using our faith to pump ourselves up at the expense of other people. We're up here, they're down here. That separation leads to disdain, and that disdain leads to hatred, and that is not Christ. God is love because Christ is love. So why is this so hard to get? Why is this so hard to live out? Why is this so hard for us to embrace? I want to make that another all play. Why are we so hesitant to fully embrace God as 100% covenantal love? You can type in the chat box there again. And again, there are no right answers to that. But I wonder what you think. Why? <laughs> Maddie, thank you for keeping me young and hip. Uh, why are we so hesitant to embrace this idea? What is it that separates us from fully living in to this idea? Hannah, because we are imperfect. Absolutely. Great answer. Penal substitution. Allie, thank you. Steve, shame. Jonah, it doesn't compute. Okay, that's a great answer. I love that answer. Because sometimes it's hard to believe when bad things happen in the world or to people. Perfect answer, Sarah. Thank you. You all are right around where I want to go with this. This is great. Because the answer that came to my mind is fear. Plain and simple, it's fear. It's fear that that love won't be enough to sustain us. It's fear that we're going to get hurt. It's fear that we're going to screw up and God's going to take away that love from us. But John says... That that fear is a lie. He says right in this passage, that fear is a lie. In fact, in the section right before this, of this lection that we're reading from today, John talks about testing spirits. Why? Why do we need to test spirits? Why do we need to test ideas? Why do we need to test these thoughts and feelings? Because the enemy is going to try and convince you. I've said this a hundred times and I'll say it a, a thousand more. But the enemy's Number one goal is to rob you of hope, and the number two goal is to convince you that you are alone. And corollary to those is convincing you that it's okay not to love 
some people, or that it's okay not to love all the time. You have to test thoughts like that because they're not true, and they don't fit with this notion that God is love, which is absolutely true. You've got your liturgy out in front of you. Take a look at the passage here for a moment. 1 John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love. Rather, perfect love casts out fear. And here's the kicker. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. That fear assumes this idea, this vision of God, this concept of God as this Zeus-like stern old man with the lightning bolt waiting to zap us as soon as we get out of line. We're afraid of that punishment. But John says, no, that the God of perfect love is trying to actually rescue us from the pain of our sin. Sin carries with it inherently a separation from God. It pushes us further away from God. That's what sin does. God's not punishing us. God's trying to bring us back. God's asking us to turn back. God's trying to provide a way for us to get back. That's the God who is love. So what can we do? What do we do to take steps towards embracing this deep and fundamental foundational truth? Because it is critically important to everything else we do in our faith. Well, first of all, you have to understand the flow. And John talks about this a lot. Too often we start answering this question by asking, how do I love like God? And that's the wrong question. Because inherent in that question is the assumption that we are able of, on, by ourselves to generate love. And that's not how it works. Not how it works. Instead, you start with the God who is love. Verse 7 says love is from God. Plain and simple. Love comes from God. Verse 19, we love because first God loved us. That's the flow. God fills us with love, and that love overflows out to our brothers and sisters. There's a vertical and a horizontal dimension to it. That's the flow. Our loving our brothers and sisters is actually a form of worship of God. I often talk about the analogy of, you meant, you've seen the champagne glass tower? You pour the champagne into the top glass and it overflows to the next row, into the next row, into the next row. Well, imagine that champagne is a never-ending supply of God's love, pouring into you and overflowing from you to an increasing number of your brothers and sisters. You have to understand flow. Look at verse 9. God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him, that we might learn through him, that we might love through him. Verse 11, God loved us so much, we ought to love one another. Verse 21, those who love God must love their brothers and sisters also. That's the flow. God pours it into you, and you allow it to overflow to your brothers and sisters. That's not always easy. Sometimes we put a stopper in that flow. Sometimes we don't feel like participating in that flow. But that is the flow, and you are never closer to your role as a divine image bearer than when you're pouring out that love towards one another. Embracing it also means we have to live it out. And that can be difficult. And that can be embarrassing. But I want to tell you another story. <laughs> I mentioned my nephew, Cade, earlier. So Cade's now 17. And last fall, he had his first season starting for the varsity football team at Maple Grove High School. And I was fortunate enough, even in the midst of COVID restrictions, to get a ticket to go see the first game that he played in. And so I'm in the stands, we're socially distanced, wearing masks, doing all the things. 
And here we go. Game starts, and he's playing safety. And you watch a game. Look, I've played, watched Cade play football since he was old enough to put on shoulder pads. I've seen a lot of really bad youth football games. And my younger brother is a high school football coach on Maple Grove staff, so I've seen a lot of high school football games too. But when you see your nephew playing in a high school football game as a starter of the varsity team, that's a whole other level. So I was kind of jazzed to get to see this. So the game starts, first drive of the game, and Dinah's on offense, and the quarterback drops back to pass, and this is one of those moments where everything slows down. And I see the quarterback look to his right, and Cade, I see Cade see the quarterback look to his right because he starts drifting in that direction. And as soon as the quarterback goes to throw the ball, Cade makes a break on, cuts right in front of the receiver. Now this is all happening on the opposite side of the field from where I'm sitting, so I can't see in great detail, but I see Cade reach out his arms. I see if anybody's going to get the ball, it's going to be him. And then everybody goes tumbling out of bounds, and I don't know what happened. Until I look over and I see the official on that sideline signal that there's a catch and point in the opposite direction, and the light bulb goes on. Cade just made an interception on his first drive in his first game playing varsity football, and I lost my mind. I'm not a person who displays a lot of public emotion, but I was jumping up and down and screaming like a lunatic. We were already socially distanced. People moved further away. I was going crazy because this was just, I, I was just I was so filled with love for this kid and amazed that he got to have this moment. It was, it just came pouring out of me. And then it got worse or better, depending on how you want to look at it. Because as he starts coming off the field, not only did the 10 guys on the field come over and they're slapping him on the helmet and the shoulder pads and they're celebrating and, and affirming him, but a group of kids come off the sideline and meet him as he's coming off the field. And suddenly there's this mass of kids slapping him on the helmet and on the shoulder pads and cheering and going crazy. And I started bawling. Because I didn't get to have a moment like that in high school. And to see him get to have that kind of moment in high school with all the love that I have for this kid, again, just uncontrollable emotion, I just started crying. And I'm looking around because I, I was just fun. I didn't understand it at the time, but in studying for this sermon, I figure out this is God pouring this love into me and asking me to pour it out to other people because I'm looking around for people to share it with. And we're socially distanced, and so that's, that's, that's tricky. But I found his mom at halftime, and we're both just going, crying. did you see that? It was so incredible. I wasn't crying. You were crying. It was, you know, doing the whole thing. And then after the game, I managed to sneak my way out to where the buses are. And I caught Cade coming off the field. Now he's with his buddies, so I can't go up and just give him the big hug that I want to give him. I got to do the kind of cool kid bro hug, you know, do the thing. But I told him, I said, Cade, that's the coolest thing I've ever seen in my life. And I might have used another word in there that I can't repeat at church. But you get the idea of what I was trying to say. Because it was amazing. And I just wanted to share all the love that I had in that moment with him. Now that's not to lay out, here's how you do it. It's an example of when it dawned on me that I was doing it. And I think it's important as we all have those kinds of moments to recognize them and see for what they are and realize again that you are never closer to your role as a divine image bearer than when you feel that flow of love from God and you're able to pour it out on other people. God is love. Not love and other things. Not love, yeah, but also other things. Everything God is, everything we are called to be, flows from love. Because that is the singular, central, defining characteristic of our God. And if you get that, 
If you can truly embrace that, if you really let that sink in and get on the inside of you and affect how you live your life, then you're on the path that John is laying forth in this portion towards truly knowing and understanding God through Christ because God is love. Amen? Endings are a place where life is Thank you for listening to the Genesis West podcast. If, if you, you find, find yourself, yourself nearby, nearby on Sunday, we'd love for you to join us for worship. We meet at Elam Church Center in Robbinsdale, Minnesota. If you, if have, you have any, any questions, questions or would like to connect with us, please visit us at www.genesiscov.org.